This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College. Join them for two weeks digging up dinosaur bones from the Jurassic period in Northwest Colorado this summer. For details, go to cncc.edu slash dinodig. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, Use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. Hello and welcome to I Know Dino. I'm Garrett. And I'm Sabrina. This week we have Dinosaur of the Day Segisaurus. Not to be confused with Stegisaurus very different. Oh, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> and we have a bunch of dinosaur news. But before we get into all that, we want to quickly mention that we were on the Jurassic Park podcast last week talking about some of the dinosaurs that we expect to see in Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom and what they might be like in the movie, which are just wild speculations, <laughs> but sort of based on comparisons to other similar dinosaurs that we've seen in the movies. And so if you want to check that out, go over to the Jurassic Park podcast and find our episode. And also we'll be seeing Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom a few hours after this episode comes out. And hopefully we'll have something up on YouTube very quickly so that everybody can see what we think. And we'll start by giving a sort of review and then switch over to spoilery stuff so that it'll be easy to stop if you don't want to learn too much. <laughs> we promise not to spoiler without a spoiler alert. Yes. <laughs> we also have a bonus episode for our patrons. This is part four out of six of dinosaurs of the day that appear in Jurassic Park and Jurassic World with intros of us explaining where they appear. Yep. And we also just posted a video of Jurassic World Alive on YouTube. So lots of stuff going on. <laughs> And as always, we would like to thank some of our Stegosaurus patrons for helping us to keep the podcast going. This week, we would like to thank Lucas and Eli, Wyatt, the Georges family, John Heck, Janice, Ranger Chris from Dino for Hire, Ray, Oliver E., Callum, and Andrew and Helena Webb. And Callum and Andrew and Helena Webb all just joined. So thank you very much. Awesome. Thank you, everyone. We really appreciate your support. And again, if you're a patron, don't forget to check out our page for the exclusive bonus content. Yes. And our Stegosaurus level is really filling up. It's almost 80% full now. Ooh. Yeah. And after that, I'm not sure how we're going to give people more shout outs. We might create a new level that's slightly more expensive just to thank the people who joined early. So if you want to get in and at the lower price point, make sure you head over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Jumping into the news, we have a new dinosaur. 
Yay. Does almost always lead <laughs> with a few exceptions. You're just saying there hasn't been one in a while. Yeah. And this one's pretty cool. It was published in the Zoological Journal of the Linnaean Society by Flavio Preto and others. And this one is a small sauropodomorph. That's why it's pretty cool. Because you like sauropodomorphs. <laughs> this is very small. It's named Bagualosaurus. And it's not quite as small as Buriolestes, which we talked about recently because they found that other specimen. But from their drawing, it looks like it's about 1.7 meters or five and a half feet long. So for a sauropodomorph, that is quite small. But it's still longer than me. Yes. <laughs> You're only like half a foot long. I guess if you go by tall, then... You're 5'2". Yeah, but. that's what I was thinking of. <laughs> yeah. So they say that this is 25 to 50% larger than any other Carnian sauropodomorph. And as a reminder, Carnian is in the Triassic around 230 to 240 million years ago in the rough ballpark. So really sauropodomorphs back then were really, really small because these are the very early days of dinosaurs. And sauropodomorphs had just recently split off from sort of general early dinosaurs. It's about one foot longer than Buriolestes. That's what the 25% <laughs> end of the spectrum is. And two weeks ago, I said that Buriolestes was about two meters long, but I really should have said it was more like 1.3 to 1.5 meters. I just kind of rounded it to simplify things, but now I'm realizing that I rounded like 50% of its size, so I probably shouldn't have done that. And this specific individual of Bagualosaurus was probably about 233 million years old. So a little bit more recent than Buriolestes, probably. Although it was found in the same formation as Buriolestes, so it's in the same ballpark for sure. The authors also mentioned that there's a previously described but unnamed dinosaur. It just has one of those awful alphanumeric names <laughs> to classify it almost like a serial number that has a very similar unique groove in its hip. So they think that they might be the exact same species. And if they are the same species, the hip of the unnamed one is quite a bit bigger than this individual. And that would make the larger specimen about 2.5 meters or 8.2 feet long. And then it's obviously much bigger than any sauropodomorphs known for the time. Then it's even bigger than me. <laughs> would that mean that this described specimen is probably a juvenile? Yeah, that's kind of unclear. I looked through the paper to see if they mentioned whether it was an adult or a juvenile or subadult or anything, but I couldn't find anything about the bone histology or any sort of estimates, so I'm not sure. It would make sense, although some of the other early sauropodomorphs like Platiosaurus have really wide ranges in their adult sizes, so it could just be that this is a smaller one. <laughs> I don't know. Like you and me. Yep. <laughs> so of this Bagualosaurus, which was found in the southernmost end of Brazil, they found most of the head, some vertebrae, part of the hips, ribs, gastralia, part of a foot, and about a leg and a half. <laughs> so they had like basically a full leg and then part of the other leg. They drew it in their little outline with the filled in bones of what they found and what they didn't find, almost exactly like a platiosaurus in like a one-tenth scale platiosaurus because it's so much smaller. They had a really similar head, which they did find, and then they show having those longer legs and the shorter arms. So even though it's a sauropodomorph, 
It's not like later sauropods, like a potosaurus that had four really big legs and it's always quadrupedal basically. This one looked like it was mostly bipedal and then maybe it went down on all fours once in a while because its arms could have reached, but it would have been really angled downward because its arms were so much shorter. So sort of that kind of look to it. Its full name is Bagualosaurus agudoensis and Bagualosaurus refers to Bagual, which is the area of southern Brazil where it's from. And other things that are also called Bagual are people or animals of strong build or untamed horses from that area are also called Bagual. I guess those are strong build. Yeah. Strong willed too, I guess. <laughs> and then obviously Saurus for lizard. So, And then Agudoensis comes from Agudo, which is the town where it was found. And for obvious reasons, so it's kind of one of those place name Saurus, place name Ensis dinosaurs like we get from China a lot. And then just in terms of what it looks like, I already mentioned that it's a lot like Platyosaurus and the skull especially looks a lot like Platyosaurus. But the rest of its body doesn't really have the features that you might expect in a sauropodomorph. So even though it has a more advanced sauropodomorph type of head, its body doesn't look like it was prepared to support the heavy weight of later sauropods. And they propose because of this that the sauropodomorph skull sort of evolved before the body did. So they think the skull evolved to eat a certain diet and things like that. And then it started scaling up and the body started changing because before we hadn't really found a dinosaur that kind of filled in that gap quite as well as this one did. So it's a pretty important find. Because its head is so much more like a sauropodomorph that you might expect, when they did the phylogeny, they found this one to be really closely related to dinosaurs like Platyosaurus, which came up later in the Triassic and way, way farther down the tree than Buriolestes, which was that sort of very first sauropodomorph question mark? <laughs> or is it just, you know, some other sort of basal dinosaur? And unfortunately, in the paper, they didn't mention its diet. But given the similarities to Platyosaurus, I'm guessing maybe it was herbivorous or omnivorous. But it would be cool to know for sure, because you always wonder, when did that transition happen between eating meat and eating plants like we think happened several times with dinosaurs. And up next, thanks to Marcos for sharing this with us on Facebook, we've got an article from Pure J by Simone Maganuco and Cristiano Stalsasso. And what they did was they described a quote-unquote pedal ungle phalanx from a spinosaur and what does that <laughs> That's basically a toe bone. <laughs> <laughs> and it looks pretty much identical to a toe bone from an existing and much larger dinosaur, which is Spinosaurus. So this toe bone that they found was about 21 millimeters or 0.8 inches long versus the one that they already had was about 130 millimeters or 5.1 inches long. It's quite a difference. And that's a big toe too, a five inch long. And that's just one of the toe bones too, not the full toe. So <laughs> it's about one sixth of the size. And then all they did was they had a pretty good idea of the larger one's total body length. And they just applied an exact one sixth ratio to the size to figure out about how big this Spinosaurus was. And they think 
that since the original one was about 11 meters long, they think that this one was about 1.8 meters or 5 feet and 10 inches long. So quite a bit smaller. And they say that that makes it the smallest known Spinosaurus specimen. That's why it's the smallest, biggest dinosaur. Yeah, that's what's in the title of the paper. It's pretty clever. They also said that it was about half the length of the smallest known Spinosaurus previously known, which was found back in 2016. So pretty small. They had a fun little drawing in the paper where they show a guy kind of scuba diving. And then next to him is this Spinosaurus, which is about the same size as him. And then there's the one that's twice as big as him. And then there's the full-sized Spinosaurus, which is just enormous. So pretty fun. They also said in the paper that it suggests, quote, retention of peculiar locomotor adaptations, such as traversing soft substrates or paddling during the entire lifespan, end quote. And the reason they say that is because, like I said, the early Spinosaur toe looks exactly like the adult Spinosaur toe. So they think that it did isometric growth, which basically means that the adult had the exact same proportions as the young one. Like sauropods. Yeah. They also, a lot of dinosaurs, they think, had this isometric growth. And because of that, they think that it didn't really change its behavior as much over its lifespan because it didn't change its proportions. So its feet weren't doing something else when it was young as they were when it was old. And it was eating the same things. Probably, yeah. I mean, that might be a little more speculative because prey might get bigger. Oh, true. But as far as feet go, they think it was probably walking the same way. And basically, Spinosaurus feet have a sort of flattened appearance, which is a lot like modern shore birds, which don't perch. They just stand on sand or sometimes they paddle. So they kind of have wider toes. And because of that, we've talked about before that Spinosaurus was probably at least semi-aquatic. So like webbed feet? Well, not like webbed feet. It's more like wide feet. <laughs> okay. Yeah, because the webbing doesn't get preserved. But on modern shorebirds, I think you would see webbing. But some of them might not have webbing. It might just have broader feet that sort of stand on the sand better. So they think that Spinosaurus probably had similar types of feet. Webbing's a good guess, though. Because it seems like if you're going to go through the effort of having this wider bone, adding a little bit of skin in between isn't really that difficult. It's funny to think of Spinosaurus having duck feet. Yeah. <laughs> and then like tearing into some super huge fish. <laughs> the way a duck tears into a piece of bread. Yeah. I guess ducks eat, br- eat fish mostly too, though, if people aren't around to feed them. Moving into news about dinosaur tracks, Andre Delgavis, who's known as a veteran dinosaur tracker, recently found some pretty amazing dinosaur tracks in Lake Powell and Glen Canyon. Apparently, he had to hike to a pretty steep slope with broken boulders, so a little bit treacherous there. But they found a slab of tracks about 52 feet wide and 68 feet high. And paleontologist Andrew Milner said that he's going to return soon to create a 3D model of the slab. There's at least 96 footprints from either the early Jurassic or late Triassic period, and it shows a variety of animal behaviors, so there's a lot of things to study. They're keeping the exact location secret for now in case boaters climb to the site and vandalize it. I guess that's mm. an issue, yeah. But pretty cool. Boaters? I've never heard that term before. That's what the article said, <laughs> specifically boaters. So. I guess you have to get there by boat, and therefore they're all boaters. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> 
Next, there's a cool time-lapse video of the installation of the dinosaur that was, we talked about this, it was installed at the Rheingeist Brewery in Cincinnati, Ohio. It's only about 45 seconds long, but it looks like a pretty great large space. Cool. Yeah. So we'll be sharing that link. Field Station Dinosaurs officially opened last week, and they had a new Spinosaurus, speaking of Spinosaurus, to replace the Argentinosaurus that caught fire back in 2016. Kids voted for the replacement, and it's the largest dinosaur in the park. It's 50 feet long and more than 20 feet high. I guess it's not as big as the Argentinosaurus, but yeah, still. Not the largest ever in the park, but the largest currently in the park. <laughs> yep. <laughs> The Virginia Living Museum has a new exhibit called Destination Dinosaur. It runs from now until September 3rd. They have seven dinosaur-themed experiences, both indoor and outdoor, with life-size animatronic T-Rex in the garden. They've got a water-spitting Dilophosaurus and baby. There's original dinosaur tracks that were found in Virginia. There's dinosaur shows, and there's a dinosaur discovery trail with dinosaur replicas and fossil huts and dig pits is included with the regular museum admission, so it costs $20 for adults, 15 for kids, and it's open every day from 9 to 5. Next, thanks to Chris, who shared this one with us via Facebook. So Chris has a business, Dino for Hire. You may have heard him earlier in the episode, gave a shout-out. And that was featured on Whales Online. So the article talks about how he started the company because he saw a prank video on YouTube of a dinosaur chasing office workers in China. And then he investigated how he could get one and then ended up purchasing one from China. So as you may guess from the name, Dino for Hire rents dinosaurs mostly to schools and children's parties, so they're looking to expand. We actually have another listener and patron, Chris, different Chris, <laughs> who has rented dinosaur and is also in the UK. Yeah, the UK is a good place to get a dinosaur, apparently. Well, at least China is, and then you get it into the UK. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> Thanks to Emma, who shared this one with us via Facebook. So on June 9th, there's a Disco 3000 night in Corpus Christi, Texas. It's going to be a Flintstone-themed pride event for 18 and over. There's no cover charge. There's going to be life-size animatronic dinosaurs from Dinosaurs Alive. The event starts at 8 and goes until midnight. It looks like it'll be a lot of fun. Love the Flintstones. Yeah. People sometimes think that our podcast is about the Flintstones because I think it's I Know Dino. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I forget about that. <laughs> but if you look at the logo, you can tell it's definitely not Dino. Yeah. But <laughs> Dino is a dinosaur. True. <laughs> I also recently heard about the Fossil Records, which is a website that, quote, digs through the pop culture strata. <laughs> I like that line. It's started by a paleontologist, though I couldn't find the name of the paleontologist on the website. But it is somebody who lives in the UK. From the first blog post, I'll just read you. It says, quote, welcome to the Fossil Record, a blog about the intersection between the world of paleontology and the world of vinyl records. A pretty niche topic, but this is largely for my own amusement. The idea for this blog came about because an English literature colleague and I were putting together an exhibition on changing depictions of dinosaurs in pop culture over the last two centuries. For me, this represented the opportunity to look at the links between dinosaurs, geology, and the fossil record and popular music through the use of paleontological imagery on record sleeves and in band names and lyrics, also to buy some weird and wonderful records, end quote. So there's already a few posts. So is the blog all about records? So, so far, <laughs> pop culture in general, I think, with a focus on records. That is in, even more niche than I originally thought it was. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty fun, though. Next, we've got Geek.com that posted about T-Shirt Tuesday. And the theme recently was the best dinosaur shirts. So if you're looking, they include a Sons of Jurassic Isla Nublar black shirt that looks like Sons of Anarchy, but with velociraptors. They have a floral version of the Jurassic Park logo. 
a clever girl shirt with a velociraptor, of course, and a cute one called Free Raptors. There's three baby raptors in a box. That's, you know, kind of like free kittens in a box with oh, raptors. Geez. Yeah, don't don't get that. I mean, don't get those raptors. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can't. <laughs> they look cute, though. Yeah. Just like kittens. And then they claw the crap out of you. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> oh, speaking of Flintstones from earlier... The TV network Boomerang is reviving some old characters in a new series called Yabba Dabba Dinosaurs. They're going to have Pebbles and Bam Bam and Dino in the show. It's going to be a short show, I think only 15-minute episodes. And it sounds like the kids are a little bit older than the original. You know, they're just babies because they're old enough to have adventures out in the wild while their parents are still in bedrock. So there was a previous show about like childhood Flintstones? No, it was just the Flintstones. Oh, just the children on the Flintstones? Yeah. Uh, okay, I forgot that they were on there. Yep. I didn't watch the Flintstones very much. Oh, I love that show. <laughs> Brontosaurus, ribs, oh. There weren't enough dinosaurs in it for me. Mostly cave people. Ah, there are plenty of dinosaurs. That's how they got everyone. Oh, well, no, they used their feet in the cars. But there's always the opening scene where Fred slides down the sauropod uh, to get off of work. That's how they got you. And then he eats the brontosaurus ribs later, and they always look so delicious. So it's his mode of transportation and his food? It's his, the sauropods they were using to lift rocks from the quarry. Okay. The transportation, they use their feet. Gotcha. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> we've got rumors about Indiana Jones and dinosaurs at Animal Kingdom in the Disney Florida Park. The ride... Supposedly, a new ride will have an original story and will probably have dinosaurs so that it ties into the ride in the Dinoland area, which I didn't realize this, but thinking about it, because I've been on both of these rides, the ride in the Dinoland area is similar to the Indiana Jones ride in Disneyland in Anaheim, California, similar layout and everything. And they also might be updating that ride with a new coaster. There's rumors that Disney will build a dinosaur-themed wooden roller coasters as well to compete against Universal because, you know, Jurassic World's been... Everybody's excited about dinosaurs right now. The Indiana Jones updates, anyway, will probably start late next year. It's just a whole bunch of rumors for now. Interesting. I know so much less about theme parks than you do. <laughs> That's what I've realized when you're talking about comparisons between different rides. Oh, well, I know about Disney a lot. Yeah. <laughs> But now we can dive into the Jurassic Park Jurassic World news because, of course, we're going to have it this week. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the movie hasn't come out yet. <laughs> so in London, some commuters saw Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom things. A few days ago, they could see a life-size replica T-Rex floating down the River Thames. It was inside a cage on the back of a boat and its head sticking out. It looks like it's roaring. There's a lot of jokes around it. Someone tweeted an image with the caption... Marine 2, Marine 2, we're getting a number of calls in regarding a genetically engineered dinosaur at large on the Thames. Are you free to deal? This T-Rex is probably part of some promotional material since the movie premieres in the UK on June 7th. Yeah, I think I saw it later sort of on land in like sculpture form. So, so yeah. it made it out. Yeah. Oh no, it's escaped. Yeah, and it reminds me a little bit of the dinosaur dissection with the t-rex oh t-rex autopsy that's what it was called when they put one on the back of a truck and drove it around london oh yeah i forgot about that <laughs> lots of large t-rex sculptures being carted around london as promotional <laughs> material guess london's the place to be for t-rexes i guess so 
There's also a cool Newsweek article that is from their archives and it commemorates the 25th anniversary of Jurassic Park, which just happened recently. They released a Newsweek special edition Jurassic Park. And I found one article online. It's an excerpt from an article originally published in 1993, you know, shortly after the movie came out. And it starts with a description of the Brachiosaurus, and then it talks about the plausibility of a real Jurassic Park. It says, quote, All great science fiction must be science first and fiction second. Even more, it must tap into the reigning scientific paradigm of its era. For Jurassic Park, it is biotechnology, end quote. And at the time, scientists at the American Museum of Natural History had recently reported cloning DNA from a 25-million-year-old termite that was trapped in amber. And the article also talks about how there's not enough DNA to recreate a dinosaur. But we also now know that dinosaur DNA is too old, right, Garrett? Yeah. And I think, well, 25 million years old, I don't think they actually pulled that off. It was probably not really the DNA that they thought it was that they were cloning because... I think the limit is more like a million years, if that. So you're not going to be able to get to 66 million years ago, which would only get you basically T-Rex, Triceratops, and a couple other dinosaurs. If you want to get something like a Stegosaurus, then you're talking 150 million years ago. And there's even more no way that that (laughs) will happen. (laughs) Yeah. But that just shows more about how at the time it was very up to date. Yeah. The thinking. For sure. We're much more likely to either be able to sort of reverse engineer a chicken into a dinosaur like we keep talking about, which I think would be amazing, or otherwise just genetically engineer some creature that looks like a dinosaur. Although both of those have a lot of ethical (laughs) considerations. Which they talk about in the movies. Yeah. So who knows if that'll ever happen. I mean, there's a lot of money behind it i'm sure if you can make an actual t-rex it would be just like jurassic park people would pay a lot of money to see it so yeah it would be worth it i think we've also got another jurassic world fallen kingdom featurette speaking of moving into jurassic world territory i guess this might have spoilers because it mentions a bunch of the dinosaurs that are going to be in the movie so just so you know thanks sabrina (laughs) one of the lines on the featurette says, be careful. There's dinosaurs everywhere and they're flipping out and killing people. It's by Grady. The featurette promises more dinosaurs than all the dinosaurs in the other movies combined, which we've talked about. Yeah. And some of the dinosaurs include T-Rex, Baryonyx. There's also going to be a scene where Carnotaurus fights Cenoceratops. There's also going to be Stygimoak and of course Indoraptor, which is described as a psychopathic murderous beast. The dinosaurs are animatronic, as we've talked about. And I didn't realize that they show the animatronic T-Rex in the cage that Owen Grady escapes from, which is really cool. Oh, yeah, in the trailer? Yeah. In the more recent trailer, at least. Yeah. They also show the motion capture part of it and people acting out as velociraptors. (laughs) That's always fun. Yeah. Yeah, this video is about showcasing the effects of the movie, so it's really cool. Nice. Yeah, the special effects are really astonishing. And it's what put the first Jurassic Park on the map too. the amazing recreation of all these dinosaurs. So it's nice that they're kind of continuing with that. And quickly, I want to talk a little bit about Jurassic World Alive because it was released just recently. I wouldn't say addicted. Well, maybe I am. I would say you are. I guess. So it's, (laughs) it's a pretty good game. I'm not sure how long the addiction will last because I can already tell that things start to get a little monotonous and repetitive. 
But basically, the way the game works is you collect DNA by shooting darts into dinosaurs. And this is a mobile game, I should mention. So I know it's out on Android. I think it's out on iOS also. Basically, the goal is that you shoot these darts into the dinosaurs. It collects a little bit of DNA. And then you also go other places to get some coins. And you can use the combination of DNA and coins to create or level up dinosaurs. So just like in Jurassic Park, they had to go through all these mosquitoes and find enough segments of DNA in order to splice together a full dinosaur. It's the same kind of thing, except for some reason you're shooting actual dinosaurs and shooting it once doesn't give you all the DNA for some reason. Shoot her. You have to do it tons of times. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so the way you shoot them, Sabrina talked about this a while ago, is you use a drone that moves around. And so you don't actually have to be as close as you do in a game like Pokemon Go. You can be up to 150 meters away from where the dinosaur is. I think in Pokemon, it's like 40 meters so it's significantly farther. And then you can pay $10 a month and then you can be 200 meters away. And there are a lot of things you can pay for in this game, which is another reason I think I might get tired of it. So <laughs> once you get your drone up there, then you have a limited amount of time to shoot it as many times as you can and collect as much DNA as you can if you hit closer to this target that moves around on the dinosaur or other prehistoric animal, then you get more DNA than if you miss the mark. But it does have the problem, which I kind of suspected, which is that it doesn't really encourage you to get out and walk around quite as much as Pokemon does, because when you're sitting in one place, you can still get dinosaurs from a pretty wide range around you. So you don't really feel the need to get up and move around quite as much, especially if you're near their version of a Pokestop, <laughs> which gives you more darts so that you can shoot at more of these dinosaurs. The best thing about the game is probably for rural players because Pokemon Go is pretty much unplayable unless you're in a major city because you need the Pokestops and Pokestops are all based on points of interest. And if you're in the middle of nowhere, there aren't any points of interest, so there's no Pokestops. But it looks like the Pokestop equivalents, <laughs> they call them supply drops in Jurassic World Alive, were spread out much more evenly all over the place. So you can play it anywhere, which is kind of nice. The thing that I really like about the game, though, is they have a sort of battle mode, which people have been wanting in Pokemon for a really long time, but still isn't there. And they appear to have basically borrowed it from previous Jurassic Park and Jurassic World mobile games. So you have different types of moves. You have quick moves and charge moves and... Swipe moves. Yeah, all these moves that have different effects, too. So you might want to use a certain dinosaur to fight a different type of animal, like Dimetrodon, can get through armor. So you might use it against a Sukamimus. Dimetrodon's not a dinosaur. Yeah, but there are a lot of non-dinosaurs in the game, and they all have different abilities. So it makes it pretty fun, and it really adds a layer of complexity to the game, and I really like it. So you should probably check it out. It is free if you can resist paying them for all the things that they want you to pay for. <laughs> and it is a bit addicting. A little bit. And Jurassic World Evolution is going to be coming out on June 12th. So that's really soon. That might help break me of my addiction because that game looks like it might be a little more fun. <laughs> since you're making an actual dinosaur park, I think. Oh yeah, those are fun. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College where you can become a part of the scientific process. 
As a participant, you can go on a real-life dinosaur dig, and you'll be helping to advance science and our understanding of the ancient world. What's really cool is that the fossilized bones that are being excavated, they're public, and they're going to be displayed and preserved for future generations to study and admire. Yeah, we've mentioned how that's a really important part of the scientific process, not just getting them out and describing them once, but keeping them and preserving them so that future questions and future scientists can take a look at those bones to answer new questions and validate results. And the site is special and also near and dear to me because it's in the Morrison Formation, known for the sauropods, Mm -hmm. of course, of the Jurassic time. And it represents one of the best bone beds ever found in the saltwash member. Yeah, the current interpretation is that the site was the result of a brachiosaurus sort of jamming up a river and then other carcasses piling up behind it. Oh, no. And that's how we got a bunch of different types of dinosaurs all fossilizing together. So, oh, no, but also, yay. (laughs) Good for us as scientists. Mm -hmm. And dinosaur enthusiasts. Yes. So there are two scheduled digs if you want to get involved with getting these bones out of the ground. You can go from July 6th to July 20th or from July 22nd to August 5th. Head over to cncc.edu slash dinodig. You'll get all of the details. Just make sure that you register online by May 31st. And again, that is cncc.edu slash dinodig, D-I-N-O-D-I-G. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Now on to the dinosaur of the day, Sigasaurus, which... We are continuing to talk about dinosaurs that are appearing or mentioned in Jurassic Park or Jurassic World or the books, at least until Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom comes out in the U.S. I'm glad we've been doing that, too, because a lot of them are in Jurassic World Alive. So I'm like, oh, yeah, I know this one. We just researched it and (laughs) learned all about Proceratosaurus or whichever. Oh, nice. Well, this one, I don't know about Jurassic World Alive, but it's not really... In the movies or books, it's actually just listed in the Jurassic Park brochure, but that's something. We'll take it. It was a coelophysoid theropod that lived in the Jurassic in what is now Arizona, and its name means Segi Canyon Lizard. I think that's how you pronounce it. It was found in the Segi Canyon in Arizona, and it's the only dinosaur excavated from there. Max Littlesalt and Robert Thomas found Segasaurus in 1933, And it was in sandstone. Max had kept livestock in the canyon where it was found and then pointed out the fossils to archaeologists who were on an expedition who normally don't deal with these things. But it all worked out. Yeah, that's funny that it was archaeologists because we're always telling people archaeologists don't deal with dinosaur bones. Oh, except they did this one time. Well, maybe they originally (laughs) thought they were human bones. Oh, could be. Yeah. So it was probably buried in sand and then it died. This is based on it being found in sandstone. It lived in something similar to modern sand dunes. The tracks are more common in the formation than skeletons. It was described in 1936 by Charles Lewis Camp, and they found parts of the limb, pelvis, and vertebrae, but no skull. The type species is Segasaurus halli. They found a subadult. It was about 3.3 feet or 1 meters long, so it possibly grew bigger. Oh, it's really small. Yeah. Well, this one was a subadult. And it weighed only 9 to 15 pounds or 4 to 7 kilograms. 
It ate insects, and it may have also scavenged for meat. It was primitive and bipedal. It had a long tail, long forearms, and long powerful legs with three toes. It was found in a roosting position, similar to modern birds. Camp said its posture was like a quote-unquote sitting hen the way it was found. It may have been in that position because it was either sleeping or sheltering from the sand and ash storms. As you might have guessed, it was pretty bird-like, with a long neck and stout body. They found fused clavicles, which may not have been found in other dinosaurs that lived at the same time. Charles Lewis Camp said that it may have had a splint-like neck to support a fold of skin that may have helped it move quickly. Segesaurus shows that the clavicle was in early theropods, which is interesting because there was debate in the 1930s whether dinosaurs had shoulder girdle bones and also how birds evolved. Yeah, clavicles are basically the collarbone. Gerhard Heilmann, a Danish artist and paleontologist, published The Origin of Birds back in 1926, and he argued that though many dinosaurs looked bird-like, they did not have clavicles, which were also the precursors to wishbones, and they seemed to have lost them over time, and they could not have re-evolved them. So he said that Thecodonts, which are crocodilian types, were ancestors to birds and dinosaurs, and the shared ancestry was why they appeared to have this convergent evolution between dinosaurs and birds. And many paleontologists agreed with this until the dinosaur renaissance of the 1970s. Wow. Yeah, except for Thomas Henry Huxley in like 1870s. (laughs) Yeah, but that was before the the origin of birds. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Unfortunately, Segasaurus was largely ignored for many years. It wasn't re-examined until 2005. So it didn't really play a role in the dinosaur renaissance. It seems to be related to Coelophysis, but it was thought to have had solid bones instead of hollow bones. Some scientists were unsure if it was a theropod because of its solid bones. The re-examination in 2005, though, found that it did have hollow bones and it was a Coelophysoid, probably closely related to Procomsognathus. Cool. By hollow bones, we mean that there was some pneumaticity, not that they were literally entirely hollow. Yeah. <laughs> And our fun fact of the day is that dinosaur in Mandarin is Kong Long, and that literally translates to afraid dragon or scary dragon. And that's really similar to dinosaur in English, which literally translates to terrible lizard, or you could think of it as scary lizard. So rather than lizard, we've got dragon, but still pretty similar. That's interesting because a long time ago, the word terrible meant something like terrific or awesome. Yeah, and they think that that might be the original intention (laughs) of the word dinosaur to mean that it's like awe-inspiring. But I'm not sure exactly when the Mandarin word came about, but it could be that it's just sort of a literal translation of dinosaur. Yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, it's a good one to know if you're in China with all their amazing dinosaur museums, because then you can ask people how to get there. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. And that wraps up this episode of I Know Dino. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to our episode so you don't miss out on anything new that comes out. Also, you should check out our page at patreon.com slash I Know Dino so you can get access to that exclusive content we're releasing about Jurassic Park and Jurassic World dinosaurs. Thanks again, and until next time. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. Like that car riding right your tail. 
Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.